Story Guys, a fake game show podcast where the stories are real, the points are fake. My name is Brian. And proxying in for Murdoch today is uh, a friend of both of ours who has been involved in our podcasting career since the very beginning, uh, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Comedian, actor, Michael Malone. What's up, buddy? Hey, how are you, man? Dude, I'm so glad, first of all, to talk to you. Second of all, I'm so glad that you're on another podcast creation of ours because <laughs> it, it, it's funny because you were on Ice Cream Headache like a lot. I want to say yeah. you, you might have been one of the uh, professional comedian folks who was on it the most. Um, and uh, you were kind of an indirect inspiration for this show. And I don't even know if, if Murdoch knows this, but I when I started when we started talking about doing a storytelling-based podcast and a thing where we would sit down and tell stories, the there is a specific story, and you're probably going to know, a specific story that you told me <laughs> That, like, when I think about wanting to sit down and listen to a podcast where guys tell stories, this <laughs> is the story that I think about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, is it is it with DJ Dangler and I? <laughs> yes. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to have you tell that story. I really, what I need to do is see if I can find the Ice Cream Headache Let's episode where you tell it. find it, yeah. Because there's literally an episode of Ice Cream Headache where we just, like, start rolling tape and we're like, hey, Michael, tell that story. And you, I think, like... I think Derek Zoo was with you. Like DJ Dangler was on the show a lot, but I yeah. think Zoo was with you when you told the story. But, yeah. But Dang- so there's like all these people that were friends of the show that were involved. But uh, I have like liter- literally never laughed that hard. I don't think ever um, at a story it's, that someone's told. It's the greatest told. story ever told. I mean, <laughs> I, and I guess it's kind of unfair that I'm going to talk about how you have the greatest story ever told, and then I'm going to make you tell a different story. <laughs> not tell the story. I think that's perfect for, for your <laughs> listenership. They're going to be like, what? what? So have, have you ever worked, sure? have you ever worked that story into any of your standup? Uh, DJ Dangler and I, when we were touring together, uh, we would some nights, um, he would come up on stage he would open the shows and I would close and then I would bring him back up on stage and we would do the story together on stage. And this only happened probably three times um, because the story is, I mean, it's a 25 minute story when you have DJ and I telling it live. <laughs> oh man. So, so it was hard to just like, do <laughs> I, I will uh, I will moving parts. since I'm not gonna let you tell the story I will only say yeah. that here's what I remember from it yeah <laughs> I remember that it involves the upper peninsula of Michigan that's true I remember yes. that it involves a strange hotel room yes and I remember, like a motel I'm a like, motel with yeah. like seven doors yeah a motel <laughs> and I remember that it involves a coffee pot those those uh, are the, yes yes okay <laughs> Oh man, what what a great! It, uh, yeah, and and a a drawer, two drawers full of uh, of, of adult films oh, <laughs> in our yeah. motel room. Oh yeah, man! It, and I also say that ever since you told me that story, which has got to be like five years ago, the every time someone mentions the UP, all I can do is be like, "Oh, you know my this guy Michael Malone? He's got this hilarious story." They're like, "Great, he's a comedian. Where can I hear it?" And I'm like. My old podcast, which doesn't exist on iTunes anymore. Sorry, bro. Right. At, at some point. I'm trying to think if I've ever told it anywhere else. I feel like I feel like when I had DJ on, um, I feel like my, my old podcast isn't up anymore either. But when I, I had DJ on and we kind of recapped it. 
Uh, it's not as good. Uh, but yeah, I'm wondering if that story exists in the in the ether somewhere. I don't think it does. This is this is this is it, man. This is your next special. After after this one, <laughs> you're going from laugh after death into uh, escapades in the UP. I mean, I, it's <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you a career arc that is made for the ages. So let's talk about your current project. So I mean, the big thing right now is you have this special up on Amazon. It's if you're a Prime subscriber, yeah. you can watch it for free. So there are no excuses. Um, right. But otherwise, I mean, what you're not, like hardly even charging for it. It's like a couple bucks, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the way. I mean, Amazon usually works. Is and because I, you know, I've watched other comic specials on Amazon and Netflix. I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm a student as well. You know, I'm sure. constantly watching comedy, seeing what's out there. Not only for the content part to see to make sure that I'm not overlapping with anybody else, or that you know, sometimes you'll do a story, you'll talk about something, um, and I don't run into this a lot because I don't do a lot of current event kind of stuff. Like I could care less what the Kardashians are up to and you know, all that stuff. And I, I don't do politics in America anymore. I save that stuff for <laughs> the European shows. Uh, um, so yeah, so I'm, all I'm left with is personal stories, but you still want to make sure there's no overlaps and stuff like that. So I'm constantly watching for that. And number two, I, you know, I'm on the other side of the camera as well. I'm directing a lot of projects now and stuff like that. This is my third project that I got to direct and film. And um, so I like to look at it from that angle, too, to see what other people's projects look like. Um, so, again, I'm not stepping on any toes and seeing what else is out there as well. I will say I love that you shot it in black and white. Um, oh, and and you, it man. is very, I will say it looks different in a, in a kind of a captivating way than a lot of specials that you see on Netflix or, or, you know, other services, um, in that it is very like you're close. And I'm assuming that that was on purpose because it's a very, yeah, you know, yeah. it's very intimate kind of subject matter that you, that you get to and all that stuff. So, um, was that kind of the thought behind all that? Yeah. I wanted everything to be really small. Um, cause like you said, everything was intimate. Everything is personal stories. Pretty much the ending is, is, really really personal <laughs> um and so i wanted it to feel like you were there i wanted a small crowd i didn't want a big you know you, you see these guys you know these kevin hearts and the these kind of guys doing these arenas <laughs> and you're like well that's not where comedy lives that's not where right that's not where you where you do the work the work is in the clubs the work is in that is in those small rooms they're jam full of people that are half lit. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's where that's where the comedy lives, and and uh, and so I wanted to do something like that. And so the Ice House, um, which we shot at, is uh, one of the longest running comedy venues in America. It was Steve Martin's home club. It was uh, it was Johnny Carson's home club. It was my home club when I came out here when I first moved out here. They were the first people to give me work, and and uh, they've always been good to me. And so they have a little small little side room. Um, called the Annex, and it holds 65 people, <laughs> and has low ceilings, and it's real tight. I mean, and um, so I was like, well, that that's it. That's that's the spot. And so we jammed three big Sony movie cameras <laughs> in oh, wow. that <laughs> small space. I mean, I, I wish I could show you a, a screenshot of the whole room. I mean, you barely have room to even like where the chairs from the stage like back up to the booth in the wall, there's maybe a foot. So you have that much room. So we had two cameras uh, set up on tripods and we had one roaming camera. 
um, throughout that room that had to make his way through. Uh, we had 66 people there, so we were <laughs> we were one oversold. <laughs> but, uh, so he was trying to move through that room and get those shots, uh, just just in a in a little crowded little mess there. Very very cool. And it, and it, yeah, it comes off that way. It comes off very yep. intimate, very small, very crowded. I wanted to feel like you were in the room. And if, if you notice, even the sound feels that way. So I was going to uh, they... ask you about that because when I watched it, I noticed that and I thought uh, – and then I started to think, I, I, he did this intentionally. You, yeah. you, you wanted it to sound like that, didn't you? Yeah, there's uh, there's a couple moments where it, it overpowers me a little bit. Not not in a bragging way, just in a technical way of like saying like that the sound of the crowd does overpower my microphone every once in a while. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted to feel like, because that's how it is at a live event. You don't, you don't catch all the lines. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You, yeah. You're laughing or you miss something or you, you lean into your friend and you go, what was that last part? Um, you know, you, you, you miss a tag every once in a while. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's what I loved about it as well. Like it just felt, it felt like you were there and that's, that's what I was going for. Yeah. Well, very well done. Um, like I said, the subject matter is something you've been dealing with kind of in, in real time and on the road for a while about the loss of important people in your life. Um, and you're able to tie that up, I think, pretty nicely into something that becomes larger than just about the laughs in the room, which is, you know, when we talk about storytelling in general, you know, laughter is one response. But a lot of times with that laughter or behind that laughter, there is something that can make even more impact than that. And using laughter to deal with things like this, I think, is like not only a good personal habit and also can be cathartic for the person. I think it's like really interesting to watch happen as almost as an example where you can see like, this is Michael in real time is dealing with this and maybe yeah. I can, maybe I can deal with it too, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. Um, when I started to talk about these things on stage, um, the feedback that I was getting from the crowd and the connection was, was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. You know, people always, you know, come up after shows and be like, Oh, that was great. Or that was so funny. Or we, you know, blah, 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 whatever people coming up to me after the shows, after I was talking about dealing with my parents passing and, and still having a tour and going to therapy for the first time, you know, and all that stuff, like the connection was, was another level. People were coming up, hugging me. They were saying, we just lost my father. We just lost my brother. We just, you know, my, my wife just passed from cancer, this and that. People were coming up to me, sharing their stories with me. And it was, it was something like I'd never experienced. And I didn't expect that either. When I first started doing the material on stage, it was rough. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it sounds inspirational when you talk about it, but I would think from an experiential standpoint that it would be overwhelming, especially at first. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces, and you got to get it just right or else it, it feels clunky and it just doesn't work. And so there's a lot of, like, moving this here, moving that around, taking that line out, maybe saying this here. Um, there's a lot of that happening um, behind the scenes, and uh, and it was something that I wasn't doing a lot. I didn't I didn't work on that big ending piece on every show. I slipped it in when I when I really liked a crowd, which sounds selfish, I know, but well, it's about uh, safe yeah. spaces, right? I mean, you've got to you've got to feel yeah. comfortable to do it correctly. 
yeah, you can't just whip that out on a Saturday night late show and be like, right. all right, guys, I know we're rowdy and you've been heckling me and we've been doing, you know. <laughs> I know the first three rows are bad, so we're at but yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but here, here's a story about my dead parents. Let's go. <laughs> you just can't do that. And you have to go into that understanding that not this isn't for every crowd. And so there's only certain times I could work on. Actually, one of the <laughs> one of the first times I I did it, it was so it was like doing it for the first time every time because I do it from memory. I don't usually write a lot of my jokes down. I'm not a guy that can go to a coffee shop and say, okay, I'm going to write for the next three hours. Uh, I take an idea of something you know, I've been dealing with in my head, and then I take it to stage and I flush it out. And so doing this big close was from from memory and distant memory. Sometimes I hadn't, I wouldn't do it in a month or whatever. And so I would pull it up out of my memory and try to recreate those moments. Um, and uh, one of the first times that I did that from from scratch, uh, I was working with Rich Reagan. He's a comic that you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love, love Rich. And uh, <laughs> we were doing shows back in Indiana. And I, I did that big closer, and he came up to me afterwards, and he goes, man, that was like watching somebody land a plane up there. <laughs> <laughs> it just meant the world to me. You know, I was like, oh, wow, I, I never thought about it like that. But it, it really is because you have you know, my, the other part of the show, which the, the other part of the special is all energy. You know, right, I'm a very yeah. energetic comic. I'm there's, there's very characters physical, yeah. involved. Uh -huh. There's yeah, very physical. It's it's fun. It's you know, it's bang, 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 bang. And then you get to this part and it's like, Oh, well, how are we gonna get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> and you realize there are no parachutes on the plane. We're going down with this plane. <laughs> and I think that's that's it. It's like, oh, the alarm bells are going off. You realize this is this is the show. <laughs> and uh, I try to land as smoothly as possible in a field somewhere, and uh, so everybody can go home and see their families again. <laughs> so, so let, let me ask you this: just a technical comedy question. Do you? Which do you prefer? Do you prefer when, and I don't want to spoil anything about closers here, but do you prefer the type of closer on this new special or do you prefer the traditional comedy club closer where you save that joke that's going to make everybody howl and then you, you, you know, peel off in a bunch of laughter? Uh, I'm getting more into uh, this, this, this style. I, um, I, I, and I've always enjoyed that in stand-up specials where it leaves you with a, kind of like a point or kind of a message. Um, and it's getting more and more common, I feel like. Berbiglia um, doing what he's doing, his storytelling. Um, Titus has always done it. Um, you know, people like that, John Leguizamo, guys like that have always been doing this. Um, and so it, it, I've always enjoyed that. I just never had anything to say before <laughs> you know what i mean i didn't really have anything that important to well say. it's it's interesting <laughs> that you say that too right because you had to go through a lot of i mean kind of heartache and turmoil to get to a point where now you feel like you have something to say right and i mean and that's right when it when it comes to stories that make an impact yeah it's fun to sit around and talk about whole storytelling and you can, you know it's so much fun to tell the stories of our lives but a lot of time i mean there are stories even on this show where i will be like i was thinking earlier today i was like oh we can tell this story and i'm like i don't really want to tell that story it feels too personal and it's like you know to really yeah. connect with people at the level that you you are connecting with them 
you it is it's very personal and it's scary and i would assume that it's not pleasant some of the times especially in the early stages <laughs> yeah yeah and, and again it all comes back to that reaction that i was getting when i was when i people started to come up to me after the shows and and hugging me and and telling me their stories that's when i knew that i had to keep talking about it um like again it was something that i was doing every once in a while just kind of for me for my own kind of peace of mind and my own therapy and then um when i once i realized it was touching so many people not to sound hokey but that's what it was doing i i was like oh well this has to be said because nobody else is talking about this yeah and, and every everybody is losing somebody they love and nobody wants to talk about it and so, because that's how we're taught in the society i yep. touch on a little bit in the closer of saying that you know in, in life we fall down and people are so quick to tell you to get back up and I think that's wrong. <laughs> I think that, you know, we are such a macho society here in America that we're the greatest, we're the number one, we're we're tough as nails, we're Ford tough, you know. And it's like, yeah, but what do you do with all those feelings that make you feel something? And they're like, Oh, I'll just punch it out of you <laughs> And you're like, Well, yeah, that really hasn't worked for us in the past. There has to be a different way to deal with this. <laughs> Well, and uh, and, uh, and especially as a dude, like growing yeah. up in the '90s, like I wasn't allowed to be chilly. <laughs> now, now I can be openly depressed on Twitter. Like, well, this is a big shift. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, I think to that point, there's also. Um, there is a reemergence of like this toxic masculinity. That yeah. is very opposite of, of what I would say is our shared style of being male, <laughs> both me and yeah. you, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I and I've talked about it on the show before, but because I haven't talked to about it with you, I'm going to say it again. Um, probably if I was forced to say best book that I read this year, especially from a nonfiction side, um, there's a guy named Jared Yates Sexton who writes mm -hmm. uh, politics. Are you familiar? I love Jared. Yeah, we're friends on Twitter, and we yeah we, we yeah we go back and forth on there. Yeah, he's great. I, I love Jared. So if you haven't read the book that he wrote this year or, or end of last year, um, called "The Man They Wanted Me to Be," it is absolutely amazing. And he's from small town Indiana, and he's like almost exactly our same age. So okay. all of those things kind of fire at the same time when you talk about time periods and the eighties and nineties and what you know kind of societal attitudes and all that. It all lines up with our lived experience. So highly recommend if you haven't read that book. It is so good. And uh, the subtitles okay, yeah. about toxic masculinity, but it's it's specifically about that. It's about like growing up, not kind of being told how to portray your emotions and what that does to you. Um, as you get older, if you're not, and it's all through his kind of personal memoir and dealing with a lot of that stuff. So very, very good. Yeah. And I, I have, a, I deal with that a lot because, you know, I was raised by my mother and my grandmother pretty much, you know, Wayne didn't come into the picture until I was already pretty much grown. I was 16, you know what I mean? When he yeah. came into the picture. Um, and so, and you know, growing up, I was also in the friend zone a lot. I was mm -hmm. <laughs> overweight. I had a bowl cut. I wore silk <laughs> shirts. <laughs> like it was not the good years for me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> So, you know, I, I speak the language very well, and, and but when I'm in mixed company with, with guys, I don't watch sports. I don't yep. have a fantasy football league. Yep. I don't yep. care about, you know, like, it, it's hard. It's harder for me to connect with a group of guys than it is for me to connect with a group of women. Yep. And it's the way that we, that I was brought up in that kind of girls over here, boys over here, society. And it feels like it's blending better now. It's getting way different now. But 
it's you're still looked at as you have to have meet these requirements in order to be a real man. And it's like, well, I, I consider myself a real man, and I haven't punched anybody in, <laughs> since I was in high school. <laughs> Sorry, guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. I've never changed my own oil, but I'm a real man. <laughs> you know, like, I paid someone to do it. That says something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's yeah, it's it's these requirements, this checklist that we have. Uh, it's it's and it's all made up. It's all imaginary. That's. What I also like to say about life is when people, you know, because I went through a dark period, of course, and 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 people do that this the same way, and they, you know, it's it it the thing is the thing about life is you can change it at any time, and a lot of people get stuck in this idea of, you know, wh- wh- where would I find work? Where would I find somebody else that loves me? I can't leave this relationship. Nobody else will love me. I can't leave this job. Nobody else will hire me. I can't sell this car because I can't afford. It, it, you'll, you'll find a way. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you'll find a way. Yeah. And if you're in those positions where you're feeling stuck, where you're feeling like you just can't leave, I'm here to tell you that you can. <laughs> you can. It's not easy, and a lot of times the right answer is not the easy answer. The right answer is 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 the hard one. Nine times out of ten, it's the hard decision that you have to make. That's the correct answer. Well spoken. Well spoken, man. Uh, what what else um, are you focused on as we head into 2020? Anything? Uh, what, what's next on the horizon now that you have this up on Amazon? Uh, I'm I'm working on um, taking because there's I've been you know, we shot it in March and so I've been touring with that hour and I've been adding pieces and taking pieces and you know kind of <laughs> building something new and. I've added a ton of new stories. It's one of those things like as the special is coming out, I was like, man, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I re-recorded today. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so many updates, and uh, <laughs> um, so I'm working on on, on getting a, a new hour together and taking it over. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a little European tour with it, and uh, and then work on the new hour, which is more based on religion and the ideas of it and kind of like that. Uh, and then I'm also working on a, a book with this uh, uh, sad little squirrel story that I wrote <laughs> earlier this year. Nice. I'm going to get it uh, yeah, animated, and it's going to look like a children's book, but it's for uh, adults, obviously, and it's about depression and uh, this sad little squirrel. <laughs> Man, that's you know that's awesome. That's one of those things again that I think you ha- you're in this unique position as we just talked about to to talk about those things and bring them into the light. And you know I was gonna say earlier when you were talking about how people don't really talk about death, um, especially on the comedy stage uh, in the way that you do. I remember being in college and two of my buddies like because of the the way their schedules worked out, they had to take this humanities course and the only thing they could get into was death and dying and i remember like not understanding what that was like like them coming back and bringing their tech their textbook back and me being like what is this like what yeah there's a class on dying like it doesn't seem that hard it just happens you know like and the idea of how cultures and societies are built up around that and everything you know right and i think you know depression and anxiety and mental health and all that stuff it's it's in that same ballpark right it's like we're just now coming into this area where we're talking about it um, in a way that says, you know, I've got a friend that every week on Facebook, he'll just write, uh, mental health Monday, how you doing? And I, it, it, at first I thought like, what is he doing here? You know, like, is this right. the place for this? And, and what's been kind of beautiful is just as a bystander watching people from all over 
just go, man, I'm having a bad day today. And I, you know, I'm dealing with the, you know, and being very, very open in this public forum. And then people jumping on those comments and saying like, Hey, have you tried this? Or, Hey, I'm thinking about you or, Hey, you know, and like all of a sudden yeah. there's, there's this community of people like publicly a- acknowledging that this is something that needs to be talked about. And there's a, there's a real yeah, beauty it, to that. You just don't know what people are going through. I mean, and everybody's dealing with something and that's what you have to remind yourself. And I, I'm not the most Zen person. I'll tell you that, you know, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I react the same way everybody else does. I want them dead. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you have to kind of calm down. I remember like, maybe this person's having a bad day. Maybe this person's running late. Maybe this person has, is dealing with something that, that you're not dealing with. You know, my ex, uh, used to, uh, she used to say, you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's hero. So in the age that we were living in for a while where it was, you know, ISIS and Taliban and this and that, and they're the enemy and everybody's real revved up and going to Walmart to, with their war chants. It was like, yeah, you have to remember that that's somebody's father also. That soldier yeah. that you're killing on the other side is, he, he has a family and he's doing what he thinks is right, just like your uncle or your brother, your dad thinks that he's doing what, what's right on his side. Uh, you have to remember like there's stuff happening in everybody's lives and it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. It's not just, (laughs) you know, this or that. Um, and that's, that's something that keeps me a a little more humbled (laughs) is remembering that, Hey man, (laughs) maybe what you're dealing with isn't as bad as what they're dealing with. And, uh, yeah, we actually was, uh, we did a, uh, uh, we're getting ready to start it up again, but there's a, a podcast I was working on called Advice from Strangers. And it was uh, with my friend Tiffany and I, and she's all into like the cosmic realm of things, you know, like, oh, it's Mercury and retrograde and, yeah, <laughs> you know, right, whatever. Right, right. And what's your sign? And I'm on the other side of it, like, what is retrograde? <laughs> and, uh, and, but it was, I was talking a lot about it was, it was a time where I was going to therapy for the first time and I was, I was in, a, in a, a pretty dark place and I was reading these self-help books and trying to find my way back out of this hole and she was in a, a weird space as well and so we started doing this podcast every week and talking about the things that will bring you out of those funks, you know, journaling and exercise and doing all these things you hear about but they actually work and so we were sharing our own personal stories and what was going on and it was crazy the reaction we were having from that even. You know, when I went on tour, people were coming up to me after the show being like, hey, we listened to last week's episode. Did Tiffany ever find this? Or, hey, are you, did you try that medication? And, this, and you know, it was That's awesome. crazy how engaging that was. And you just never know what you're putting out there, who's listening, and who's getting help because of it. Absolutely. Hey, and on that note, do you want to play the game that we do on this podcast where we tell each other stories? I, I would love Okay, so we have uh, we typically take a story starter from um, from from some sort of music. Uh, you know, we take song titles and those types of things, pull them out of a bag. Um, we've done everything from Kiss song titles uh, in honor of uh, Murdoch to you know things from the '70s or the '80s or country songs. So I I pulled a bunch of crappy '90s country songs together today, and the one that I pulled was "Yard Sale" um, by Sammy Kershaw. So do you have? A yard sale story. I, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Ohio, of course. Of course you do. Story. Did you ever go? There's a place like in Kentucky where there's like supposed yes, to be this. I've been there. You, you've been to that thing, like the the longest, largest, whatever it is, yard sale. They're like, yeah, I've not done that, but I should. <laughs> 
See, I'm a I'm a thrifter. I love doing that stuff. I I here's here's a little hobby of mine is uh, there's a little farmers market here in Hollywood that I go to on Sunday afternoons, and uh, they have these bins of old photographs, and I will I will go through these bins of old photographs and buy some that I I think are unique or interesting, and uh, so I I buy old photographs from people I've never met or know. <laughs> like what, what makes you, what makes you want a photograph, the angle, the look, the people in it? Like what, what is it? That yeah. You- it, it's I, here's what I love most about it uh, is whatever story was attached to this photograph, whatever moment they captured is completely erased now. You know what I mean? Like I don't know any of these people. They're probably not alive anymore. Nobody, I know knows them to get the story or why they captured this moment. And it's so interesting to see what other people thought was a, was a moment to capture. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes it's, it's just a, a guy standing in front of a boat in his yard. You know? and, you're like, and you're like, what is, what is this moment that he, what, 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 did he save up for it? Did he steal this boat? Where does this boat come from? I love creating these stories in my head of these of these memories that people don't have anymore they're they're captured but the memory's detached and i I love that i love that so tell me about your yard sale experience here oh man i have two really good ones and i just don't know which one to go with (laughs) uh so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go short version of both okay can i do that yeah sure Two entries okay, on the field from Malone today. And, and, <laughs> and, and let, let me explain, if you win, if we decide you are the winner of this story battle, then your points go to Murdoch. You are playing for Murdoch today. Ooh, so he's, well then, yeah, I'm definitely doing two. Okay. okay. Do... <laughs> yeah. He's, I'll tell you, okay, he's been here's... kicking my butt recently. He's been pulling out. He is from small town Tennessee, and he seems to just have better stories than me because they are <laughs> full of rednecks. But uh, go for it. Tell me what you got. Uh, my first one that came to my mind was uh, I was working with Colin Moulton at the Dayton Funny Bone. I don't know if you know Colin or not, but he is an absolute beast on stage. He's, he's like my brother. I, I love him to death. If you don't know Colin Moulton, Google him right now. He'll make your life way better. Uh, so Colin Moulton and I are working at the Dayton Funny Bone. It's July 4th weekend, so there's yard sales everywhere. So we go out yard selling, and we buy all these random items. And we go to Goodwill and we buy some uh, clothes, some costume clothes, like some overhauls and stuff like that. And then after we do a show that night, and then after the show, we go in the green room, we change into the clothes we bought, like these overhauls and whatever. And uh, and then we drag this trunk on stage. We have the MC announce that Colin's merch guy that travels with him is here to, to show them what merch is available after the show. <laughs> And Colin and I, in character of these two hillbilly merch guys, just start improving. Like, I would just pull an item out of the trunk, and he would just riff on what that item was. <laughs> and I would demonstrate how you use it. <laughs> and we did that for about 10 minutes. And then afterwards, we, we stayed in character. And we sold these items to people, and they were like, oh, it was a great show. And we're like, oh, we'll let them know, man. They're real good. <laughs> We took pictures as these guys and everything, and it was so much fun. Did you have names for the characters? I don't think we did. We just, yeah, we just kind of went with it. I'm sure we did. I'm not. I'm not sure of the names. Uh, but it was the most fun. Uh, I have a great, actually, a great photo of 
Colin on stage holding the microphone, pointing at me, and I have a dryer uh, hose, one of those big silver uh-huh. ones. Yeah, yeah. And I'm holding it down towards my genital area, and I'm ex- I'm extending it. And we told everybody it was an adjustable space condom, and uh, <laughs> real high class stuff here, real highball comedy. Anyways, that's the first. One. Uh, okay, okay, okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's hear the second one. The second one is uh, this. I this, this is my main entry. I like to say this is my main entry. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, right? A little town. I graduated 72 people, you know, uh, everybody worked in factories and stuff. Nobody's dad was a, a lawyer or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we, we lived in this row of like seven houses off the, off the highway there. And our neighbors, <laughs> a few houses down are little, Little, little hillbilly, you know, we'll say that. The guy never wears a shirt, always has a bandana on, that kind of hillbilly. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, the good guy. Always, yeah, always two beers and a cigarette at all times, like that kind of guy. So uh, we have a couple TVs for sale out in the yard. And because um, that's what you do. So, so yeah, I was like, wait a second. So this isn't like an official <laughs> mandated yard sale. This is you guys decided we don't need these TVs anymore. Let's get a piece of cardboard and write TV for sale. Yeah, you at my house, you can put something in the yard any day of the week, and somebody will stop and buy it. You want to sell something? Put it in the yard. It'll be gone in an hour. So we had a couple of these old console TVs sitting out in the yard, and of course the neighbors come down to look at them. And I'm out there, and they haven't seen me in a while. And uh, and so we're sitting there talking. And I'm the opposite of these. I'm wearing a pink polo <laughs> shirt at the time, <laughs> some skinny jeans. We are total opposites. And uh, and so uh, they're sitting there looking at the TVs, and they're like, hey, man, uh, you want to come down to the house? We, we built a house behind the house. What? And I was like, okay. So they built a, a cabin in the back of their field. So they have like an acre of land. And he goes, we built, we finished the cabin. And he goes, and we just bought a cannon. You should come check it out. <laughs> and I said, you have a cannon? And he goes, yeah, it's from World War II. It's an actual working cannon. Oh, my Lord. And we were wondering, since you travel so much, if you could find us uh, a Confederate flag to put on the cannon. <laughs> we had talked to your mom about it. I don't know if she mentioned it to you, but we would love to have a Confederate flag for our World War II cannon. <laughs> and I said, I got to see the can. I got to see it. I got to see the cannon. So these three guys without shirts and beers, they walk me to the back of their property. And I'm like, oh, this is how I die for sure. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so we get back there and these guys actually have a can- like a World War II actual cannon set up in the back of their yard. And I said, have you shot anything out of it? Does it actually work? And he goes, hell yeah, it works. And he goes, I mean, we've only been shooting fireworks and stuff out of it. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure if we load it up, it worked brand new. Yeah. And uh, they bought one of the TVs. <laughs> <laughs> 
in my mind, they haven't set up like like target practice. Like I'm I'm hoping that they bought the TV and then they went out and bought like a bowling ball, put it in the cannon with a bunch of fireworks, and then tried to aim at the TV. I, I have so many questions about this cannon and how it was positioned <laughs> and what color it was. And man, that is that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. something should be said, too, about when you just keep asking questions or keep having a conversation with people that are very different than you, the places it can lead. <laughs> like, you oh, know, my God. That's so many. So that's many... how I treat every heckler. When they <laughs> pipe up during a show, I ask. I don't go after them. I let them hang themselves. And then then I go in for the kill. That's the only way to do it. Oh, man. <laughs> So I don't know if my story can stand up to either of yours, especially the second one. But I'll do my best. For this, we go back to my childhood, and it involves um, a, a little background, which we've talked about a little bit on the show before, that I come from a line of yard sailors and thrifty people. Um, we've okay. talked about my grandmother on my father's side would take it. That was summer vacation. We would go spend a couple weeks with her. And she would, uh, she didn't drive, but she would wake up grandpa and make grandpa take us early in the morning to go to yard sales around Peoria, Illinois. So I know you've been to Peoria. I know you can imagine what that was like. Um, so Love that's, it. that's how I learned about it. And then dad would want to do that sometimes at home too, because he, you know, that was his mother and you learn as you get older, right. That you're also like a lot like the people that raised you and, and you've, right. there's these ingrained things that happened and you're like, well, I, I said, I wasn't going to do this as an adult, but I guess I can. And so we would get up with him and go yard sailing. And I really understand this story better now uh, because I have kids roughly the age of me and my sister in this story. But there is a thing that happens when you have kids and you make them live in the adult world, which I'm big on. It's like, hey, listen, this world's not about you. It's about me. We're going to do plenty of fun stuff. But sometimes you're going to have to go to the you're going to have to go to the store. You're going to have to go where we get the oil change. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to do things that aren't pleasant. You're going to have to learn how to behave in those situations. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> my dad goes to this. He's like, hey, we're, we're going to this church yard sale, which is the real, the real win because there's so many people's crap all in one place. Yeah. And, and if you time it right, and you, you might know about this if you're a thrifty guy, if you get to these kind of sales and you time it right, you get to the bag sale portion of the event, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is when no longer are things priced by item. They are priced by what <laughs> no. can you shove in an old grocery sack. So mm -hmm. we show up at this church yard sale and we are the kids, me and my sister at least. And I can't remember if my little brother was around for this or not, but we are, we're done. You know, we're just at that point as kids where we're like, <laughs> yeah. we don't want to be here anymore. This was fun for the first three hours. But, Dad, now it's noon because it's a bag portion of the show. That always happens afternoon. It's noon. We haven't eaten. And we are real tired of being here. And his, he's like, okay, listen, give me a few minutes. Entertain yourselves. And we're like, oh, okay. Fine. Fine. You're going to regret the day you said that. <clears throat> So at that point, one of us hatches an idea. I'd like to say that my sister convinced me to do this, but I'm sure I was game. Where we realize the mechanics of how this thing works, which is anything in the bag you get to keep. You pay one price, so you don't necessarily have to know everything that's in the bag. So we're like, what's the weirdest stuff that we can put into dad's bag when he's not looking? <laughs> so it became a game of walk around the yard sale find weird stuff that you can stick in dad's bag and see if we can get it into the, like, see if we can get it all the way out of the yard sale. See if he'll pay for it. That was the yes. ultimate game. So 
of course, because we're young, I'm going to say I'm probably seven or eight in this story and she's 11 or 12. Um, we thought the funniest thing to get our dad to buy would be a lot of old lady bras. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we go to, oh, so we go to the geriatric section, which really at a yard sale, those are the only kind of bras for sale. We, yeah, I was going to say, is there a different section than the geriatric? No, no, because, because Maude doesn't care. You know, like Katie, Jennifer, yeah. they care. Maude, Ruby, Opal, they don't care about their bras. <laughs> so, yeah. They take, so so we get the, and then it becomes like, okay, you have to go put it in the bag. Brian, you have to go. So she challenges me and I have to like sneak like we're on some sort of mission uh, in a war zone and drop him in the bag without him knowing. Anyway, we, we are successful a few times and eventually we get so tickled that we blow the whole thing. He turns around, finds the bras in his bag. And at that point he is lost. He's, he's done. He's done. And he, he, you know, it's that everything is over. We have to leave. We have to get the car. We have to, you know, you guys can't let me have, you know, it's just like the end of the day. And now like for years and years and years, I always thought like, why do you lose this cool? That was so funny. And now, man, oh my gosh, my kids do stuff like that to me all the time. And I, I am the guy yelling in public. Like I told you, give me five minutes. Uh, and, uh, I really, I really have sympathy for my dad in that story, but it's still a classic, uh, story that comes up at a lot of holiday gatherings where we talk about, remember that time, the bra and the the bag. (laughs) That's great. I love it. So this, this is the part of the show where we have to decide if it's, uh, if it's you or if it's me that gets the points and I should say me or Murdoch, because your points will go to Murdoch the way the show works. I mean, the canon is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's a cannon. And the fact that they want me to, because I travel the world, they want me to... <laughs> want you to get him a Confederate flag. A Confederate flag for a cannon they're shooting old fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so knowing that I'm going to judge you a little bit by the answer to this question, answer carefully. Did you get them a Confederate flag in your travels? No, I did not. <laughs> All right, man. That's it. Murdoch gets the points. Michael, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thank you for giving up an hour to hang out and uh, talk about your new stuff and trade stories. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I always have a blast with you guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, there's one more thing that we like to have people say at the end of the episode. Michael, what's the one thing we want everyone to keep doing? Keep telling stories. Story Guys is a production of Brian Eichenberger and Mark Murdoch. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2019 Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.